listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Let's turn again uh, to our studies in the book of Haggai. Uh, turn tonight to Haggai chapter 2. And we'll read together from the verse number 10. Haggai chapter 2, reading together from the verse number 10. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and walk with his skirt, Oh, sorry, if one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment and, and with the skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priests answered and said, No. Then, Haggai, then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, It shall be unclean. And then answered Haggai and said, So is this people. And so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands. And that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days where, when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with heal in all the labours of your hands, yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth from this day. Will I bless you? We have noted, and I hope you've paid attention to it, that there are very precise dates given throughout this prophecy. Uh, the, the very book opens with the mention of the second year of Darius. You have another date mentioned in chapter 2, verse number 1. And then chapter 2, verse number 10. Chapter 2, verse number 18. And chapter 2, verse number 20. And you see very precise dates that are given. The Bible, the Word of God, sits in history. And the history here, of course, is that the people of God have returned from captivity. And they've had their time of chastisement at the hand of God. And they've returned and the foundations of the temple were laid. And then trouble and discouragement comes in and they stop the work. Well, they, they get on with their own lives. They get on with the building of their own homes. But the house and the work of God is neglected. Then intervenes the Lord. The Lord comes in with his word. And the people respond. And we see that Ezra 4 and 5. Recording the events of Haggai chapter 1. And the work of God restarts. Discouragement is a reality in the Lord's work. 
We're naive if we think we can go through the Lord's work year by year without encountering times of discouragement. It is a reality. It always is. But God is pleased to keep encouraging his people with the word. He does that in chapter 2. He brings a word of encouragement. We had to hear this Lord's day, didn't we? A time when we needed to hear the Lord's word and the Lord brought a word of encouragement to our souls. For our good, to strengthen our resolve to press on the things of God. So God has come, he's brought this word of encouragement, yet all is still not right. Blessing is desired, but it has not yet been known. Verse number 19 makes the point that from this day will I bless you. This day, the day of the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month. That day, a single day, the day that they were to consider, was the day that was to mark the beginning of God's blessing. Thus, this is the day that God is pleased to come in his sovereignty and bring blessing to the lives of people. What is the blessing of God? Well, blessing, of course, you see it often in the word of God. It's used in various ways. In its basic meaning, it has the opposite meaning of cursing. It speaks of God's favor. At times it speaks of praying for the favor of God. But particularly in the Old Covenant, it spoke of the blessing of God upon the land. And that's a setting here. They've been working hard. And they've been seeing very little fruitfulness for all of their labors. The crops have not been coming in a plenty. And so now there's a promise. In Old Covenant language, God is going to bless. God is going to bless with provision. And with the protection of his grace, temporally, he's going to provide these temporal blessings upon his people. But the blessings of the old covenant, they are given to us to foreshadow the blessings that we should expect in the new covenant. The blessings of the old covenant arise out of God's promise to bless Abraham and his seed. Hebrews chapter 6, saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee. And that usage in Hebrews, is to encourage the people that they will know God's immutable blessing in the new covenant. And in the new covenant, the term blessing is used, but it is extended in its significance. The promise to Abraham has a wider ramification in the new covenant. It's used in Acts chapter 3. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, The seed of Abraham, Christ himself, sent by God to bless them in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. This is the blessing. Not so much a physical crop being brought in, but the blessing of being turned away from their sins. That blessing, that is the fulfillment of the old covenant, is extended to the Gentiles in the language of Galatians chapter 3, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that you might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So if we are going to read Haggai through the lens of the new covenant, we've got to understand that the blessings that we expect are the spiritual blessings of personal grace, of the personal blessing of God upon us in turning us from our sins, and also the blessing of seeing other souls saved. The blessing of Abraham coming on the Gentiles through faith in Christ Jesus. That is the blessing we desire. 
And so if we see blessing here, verse number 19, this day will I bless you, we can hear those words and we can say, may it be so for us. Can we know the blessing of God in our day? And if that is our desire, and it should be, we rightly ask the question, well, how do we come to know such blessing? And we come to know such blessing in very similar ways to what the Lord told the people of God here in Haggai chapter 2. So keeping in mind the nature of the blessing, what are the stages here that leads to this blessing? Well, first of all, there must be a recognition of sin. The pathway to spiritual blessing for the Lord's people in times of discouragement and distress is to recognize sin. That's what's involved here in verse 11 through 14. There are two questions asked of the priests. Verse 11, thus saith the Lord of hosts, ask now the priests. And then verse 13, then said Haggai, if one is unclean, there's a second question that follows. The first question, ask the priests, if one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? So you have a piece of flesh uh, that has been sanctified, set apart ceremonially in the work of the temple. And then uh, in light of that work, if that piece of holy flesh were to touch a piece of bread, does the bread become holy? If the robes, if they touch something else, are they then rendered holy? And the answer is no. That's the answer. We'll get into more detail what it means in a minute or two, but that's the answer. No, it won't. Then the second question is almost the converse. What if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And there is a very explicit reference in the word of God to, to that matter. That one who is unclean through the contact with the dead, touching other things, those other things then become unclean. Therefore, this time the answer is yes. First question, answer no. Second question, answer yes. Now, if, like me, you read those things and you begin to scratch your head going, what, what is this all about? Well, we have some very obvious helps here. Because the Lord brings a rebuke through Haggai in verse 14. Then answered Haggai and said, so is this people. So in light of these questions, Haggai is now making the application, so it is the people and this nation. And so is every work of their hands and that which they offer there is unclean. The point is this. Simple involvement in religious ritual does not confer holiness. So being involved in that which is holy does not render the participant inevitably holy. So just because you've got a holy piece of flesh does not then make that which is unholy holy. Rather, Due to our sin, or the sins of the people, they were rendering the holy unclean. Because they were not holy, they were then rendering the work they were involved in as being unclean. Now you may say, is this, is this fair? Is this rebuke fair? Surely the people are back to work. They've been engaged in the industry, the work of God, but, but all is still not well. There's, there's still not blessing they have yet to know the blessing of God. And so the Lord's saying to them through Haggai, you need to recognize your sin. 
Now please, note some dates with me here. Let's mention these dates. Go back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, it is the second year of Darius the king, and it is the sixth month. Then chapter 2, verse 1, it is now the seventh month. And then chapter 3, verse 10, it is the ninth month. So you've got sixth month, seventh month, and the ninth month. Then look over your page, perhaps in your Bible, to Zechariah chapter 1. Remember I mentioned Zechariah and Haggai, they come together as a, as a twin pair of powerful prophets. And um, what they do, and they come in Zechariah chapter 1, note here, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, the prophet, saying, you've got to put all this together. When does Zechariah 1, 1 happen? Between Haggai chapter 2, verse 1, and Haggai chapter 2, verse 10. So what is true prior to Haggai 2, verse 10? What is true prior to this word of rebuke that comes? Well, Zechariah tells us, verse 2. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say they unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn to you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants of prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us, according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. That's all this about. Well, Zechariah is bringing a warning to the people. You're going the same way as your fathers. They've returned to the land. But the danger is that they have returned to God with their hands, but not with their hearts. They've set about the work of God, but not with their hearts given unto the Lord. How do we apply this? Well, very simply, if we ourselves are not holy unto the Lord, H-O-L-Y, set apart unto God, being in the Lord's work will not make us holy. Rather, we will render the Lord's work unholy. So if we are engaged in the Lord's work, but we ourselves are not sanctified by God's grace, we render the work of God unholy. You see, God's work must be done God's way to please God. And it must be done by those whose hearts are holy in the sight of the Lord. Not perfect, not sinless, but genuinely cleansed and set apart by the blood of Christ, whose lives are then consecrated wholly to the Lord. We may be busy in the Lord's work, like these people are now. We may be industrious, no more laziness. We may have heard the rebuke of Haggai 1 and thought to ourselves, I need to stir myself up back into the Lord's work. I can't be, be so sluggardly in the Lord's work. I must resolve to be in the prayer meeting and resolve to be about the business of evangelizing. And we, we, we resolve ourselves to get back to work. But due to our sin, our work is not pleasing to the Lord. There's no shortage of busy churches with much activity. 
but conducted by an unholy people will not enjoy the blessing of God. That language doesn't sit easily, does it, in our day and age? We love the idea of of free grace, unconditional grace, and we affirm that wholeheartedly. But the Bible is very clear. He chooses to bless a sanctified people. You think of the language of Psalm 51, verse number 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. That's where blessing comes. Not in industry, without integrity, but rather in those who are sold out to God. We have been reminded again, I mentioned Lord's Day, we have been reminded about the danger of worldliness that creeps into the church. We are distracted by the world. Our desires are unto the world. So much of our dress and our behavior is according to the world. We live in a day when it very much the case, the vast majority of believers, uh, they have their cell phones continually with them and they are bombarded by the things of the world. And there's not that wholehearted devotion to Christ that there ought to be. And we wonder, where's the blessing gone? See, I'm not making this up in terms of some spurious application from the Old Testament. 2 Timothy 2 makes the point very, very well. Flee also youthful lusts. Or sorry, back to verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts and all that follows. Paul makes the point to Timothy. That if you are going to be useful in the service of the Lord, you must purge yourself from the sins of this world. Be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet, suitable for the master's use. We do desire a blessing. But the people who desire blessing will then in turn be determined to set themselves apart from sin and from error. Not that the blessing is earned. We don't earn the blessing, that's not the point. The blessing comes in the sovereign will of God. Yet sin that is undealt with is a hindrance to the blessing of God. Think of Achan. We have to ask ourselves the question. We're involved in the Lord's work here. Is there sin in our lives and we're hindering the blessing of God in the prayer meeting? We're hindering the blessing of God in our families. We need to give ourselves a phrase to the Lord. Do business with God. Just confess the worthiness within our souls. Rest upon the blood of Christ. Plead his merits afresh. And resolve by grace to be sanctified and meet for the master's use. So there is the need for the recognition of our sin. In the second place, more briefly, there is the need for the remembrance of our sorrows. Verse 15 indicates the second point in Haggai's sermon here. And now he's speaking of the time, the time when they returned and the foundations of the temple were laid. I just want to encourage you in terms of interpreting these words. When it says this day in verse number 15, that's a Hebrew idiom. It does not necessarily mean the same day as verse number 18. 
And the context makes it clear he's not referring to the same day. In verse 15, he's referring to the time when they first return and the foundation of the temple is laid. The work stops for 14 or 15 or 16 years until Haggai and Zechariah come and preach. The language of verse number 16 regarding them coming to the, to the heap and looking for measures and there was 10 rather than 20. And they're looking for 50 vessels and they get 20 vessels. That speaks back to what we saw in chapter 1 verse number 6. They expected plenty, didn't they? You've sown much and bring in little. It's referring back to that same time. There were unexpectedly low returns for the labor caused by the chastening hand of God. Verse number 17, I smote you with blasting and with mildew. And yet they did not repent. Verse 17, yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. Things are not right yet. They're back to work, but their hearts are not back to God's. It's a tremendous danger. And so with a sensitive people, there can be the stirring up to activity. But not to this matter of a sanctified life unto God's. So things are not right yet. And the prophet is saying to the people here, to enjoy the blessing of God, you must remember to walk in the fear of God. Remember how God chastised you for your disobedience and for your negligence. God is withholding the blessing from his people. Oh, I believe that by God's grace, we're not seeing no harvests as it were in the Lord's work. We're seeing the ones and the twos converted. We're seeing some grain, if you like, being brought into the barn. But we know, and we lament the fact that such a harvest is not in proportion to our labors. We've got to remember our sorrows. Remember how we feel in these days. And resolve to obey, no matter how difficult it might be. And we put Christ first in our lives, no matter how unpopular that might be. God says, preach the gospel to all people. Now we say there are some people that are too difficult. And they won't listen. We give ourselves to the Lord. We cry unto him for his blessing. We remember the hard days. We obey in the hard days. And we look for God to bless in the days to come. The point that's being made here by Haggai. Consider this day. Remember how the Lord smote you. In other words. The days of sparsity. Are in the sovereign purpose of God. Though we may. Be guilty of sin. And though we may be guilty of neglecting the work of God. It is God's purpose in such days. To give us leanness. So that we would search for his grace all the more diligently. Tragically there are far too many Christians. And they're content with lean days. I'm okay. Our church is okay. We've got enough money. Everything's going forward. But we're not longing for blessing. We're happy with 20 when we ought to have 50. Remember, remember our sorrows. And then thirdly and finally, we see that if we're to know blessing, we are to understand the requirement for the supernatural. Verse 18 is another new start. It's the third point of the sermon. And it is, it, is, it is a word that gives much in the way of hope. 
It indicates a new start. Consider now from this day and upward. The end of verse 18, consider it. From this day will I bless you. What, what musical notes that must have sounded like in the people's ears. God's now going to bless us. The promise of verse 19 is of the sovereign blessing of God upon the people. And that is what we need. Verse 19 is interesting again. Is the seed yet in the barn? In the context and in the way it's written, it is a sense of there is no seed in the barn. Now we might think well, that sounds bad. But the point is, there is no seed in the barn because it's all been sown. It's all been used properly. The people have been hard at work. But as yet the plants have not brought forth fruit. Naturally nothing is happening. But God is now going to bless the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not yet brought forth. The seeds have been sown, but there's not yet fruitfulness yet, yet, yet. But from this day will I bless you. It requires the sovereign blessing of God. Oh, the people must deal with their sin. They must walk in the fear of God. There is the need for God's people to reform and to know this personal revival. But even with all of that, there is a need for God to come and sovereignly to say, I will bless you. The words I will are the words that ring with the sovereignty of God in the Old Testament. I will do this and I will do that. Sovereignly promises to bless. The seed that is sown will now bear fruit. God is going to do that which naturally is not occurring. In other words, the blessing they will enjoy comes from the gracious, sovereign hand of God. One sows, another waters, but God sovereignly gives the increase. It's a perplexing little passage. It certainly comes with a stinging word of rebuke. And yet at the same time, it has this tremendous point of hope. That yes, we must resolve by God to give our hearts wholly in the Lord's service. We must be holy people for the Lord's work to be holy. And yet in all of this, we depend upon the sovereignty of God to come and bless his work. We need the Lord to bless us. And may this day be the day that he will say to us from this day, will I bless you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.